Right, we all settled? Murmur, 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 murmur. That means be quiet. Like a true teacher, you don't start to put everybody's quiet. Okay. Right, we're continuing our series in Colossians this morning. And the passage we're reading from should come up. It's um, from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. Uh, it, what I'm reading might be slightly different to wait up there because I took mine from the NIV. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you who died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now when I got this, when I was given this scripture to preach on, and it, it was it's a bit different when you're given something to do rather than you're inspired to do something. I have to say, it took me a while to feel inspired. I, um, I do the same thing every time when I'm given something. I read it through, morning and night, and during the day, and I mull it over in my head before ever I've read any commentaries or books to see what God is saying to me through it. And I did that for two weeks, had it, and I even had it read to me. I don't mean by somebody, I mean by the little box that sits in the corner of the room that nicely read scripture out to you when you want them to, amongst other things. And I have to say, it took me a while to get into it. And eventually, I treated it like I would do a literary text. I did study English lit at university. And I thought, well, what stands out to me? What if I was looking at this completely critically? And suddenly, it was all the do not, do not, do not. There's five do nots you would actually mark that as a teacher's repetition. But, you know, don't do not find another way of saying this, that sort of annoying thing teachers do. So there's kind of lots of do nots, lots of do not let do this, do not do this, this is wrong, this is wrong. And it's Paul, what he's basically doing is trying to correct the thinking of the Colossians. So I'm not starting there, I'm starting in a different scripture. And it's one of my favourites, and it's another 316. I bet you can all rehearse me now, John 316, God's love the world, etc., etc. Well, 2 Timothy 316 is also one of my favourites. 
And this, it goes like this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So all scripture, whether it's a horrible bit in Leviticus that's just about the laws or whatever, that is just as inspired as the rest of scripture. And it's just as useful for teaching us. So this morning, hopefully there'll be a bit of teaching. Possibly rebuking, not by me, but by the Holy Spirit to our thinking. Correcting our thinking and being trained in righteousness. So where do we start with this passage? Well, I'll start where Mike left, left off last week. Because it starts with a therefore. And whenever anything starts with a therefore, you have to go back to the bit before. So, basically, Mike was talking last week about how we were all in the same boat. We were all dead in our sins. But how we've been made alive in Christ. And there's some glorious patches uh, of scripture there about what Christ had done for us and who we were in Christ. So, we were all dead. While we were dead in our sins, Jesus saved us. You were dead as a doornail, dead as a dode, dodo, dead as a parrot, whichever you want to look at it. All right? If a pathologist came along and cut you open and looked at your corpse, cause of death, sin. Sin is basically doing things your own way. But the good news is that while we were dead, that is unable to help yourself at all. I've not seen many corpses do there are not autopsies. I've not seen many corpses help themselves at all. They can do nothing. While we were in that state, all of us, Jesus saved us. We could do nothing about it. Only the blood of Jesus saved us. Nothing we did. And the good news is that we now have no need for an autopsy because Jesus is living in our hearts. And you might not know Jesus this morning. You might not have got to the stage of your life where you think, this is all going uh, my way. And I just kind of feel like I'm not right with God. There's something missing. And if you're exploring that and you're thinking about that, then this morning might be the time when you think, yeah, I want to put my life right with God. It might be the morning when you want to invite Jesus to come and help you do that, to acknowledge that he died and rose again. And if that's you, at the end of the meeting, please come and talk to somebody. They'll be only too happy to um, assist you and pray with you and direct you in the right um, direction. And also, they're bound to invite you on an Alpha course that you may have just heard about. I couldn't hear because we were faffing about with stuff out there. But I'm sure that's what they'll have said. And honestly, I have to tell you, get on an Alpha course if you haven't been on one. They're great. So... In the light of that, can you try and keep that in your head while I'm talking, that you were dead, could do nothing to help yourself, and, that, and you're now alive in Christ. And therefore, what comes next is important to remember that in the background. Therefore. So what's Paul addressing in this passage? Well, I want you to meet a family. Now, the family, I hope, would not be very welcome in this church. Now, I'd like to think we're a welcoming church. I mean, do you, would you agree we're quite welcoming? We could do better. We could always do better. But on the whole, we kind of do welcome people. Whether we keep them because we don't welcome them next week, I don't know. But anyway, 
meet the isms. So uh, Mr. Legalism is the dad. He has a clipboard. And he looks a bit like Dr. Crippen, if you know who Dr. Crippen was. Or like that bloke who always looks very gloomy on The Simpsons, whose name I don't know. But he just looks grim. And he walks around with the clipboard and he is totally Jobsworth. He put on people in the Colossian church additional practices and behaviours in order for them to complete their salvation. And of course it was utter nonsense. They came back from a Jewish background, these people, and they'd been keeping all sorts of laws for years. Obviously one was don't eat pork. Don't eat bacon sandwiches. Don't wash your pots when you're washing. If your pots have had milk in, you can't wash them with your pots that have had meat in. They have to be washed and kept and stored separately. You had to give a tenth of everything you had to, the, uh, to God. Now, with big things, fine. But if you imagine going to your cupboard and getting out the jar of cinnamon, say, or nutmeg. Can you imagine trying to work out a tenth of that? Or mustard seeds. So you get, I don't know, one million and whatever mustard seeds as a crop. Now you've got to count out a tenth of those. That is how far they took these things. And they were putting that onto the people who live there. And like I said... There is nothing you can do to be saved. We are saved through Jesus, not through additional practices and stuff. It's not the stuff we do. He's married to a very nasty lady. She's called Mrs. Asceticism or Mrs. Gnostic. The word asceticism, I don't know if you really know where it comes from, but if you think at the beginning, it's got the A-S-C-E-T-I-C word, and I bet you've got some at home. Acetic acid, I'm talking about. Does anybody reckon they've got any acetic acid in the cupboard at home? I have. It is vinegar. Well done. Vinegar. So you all put it on your chips. I think it's disgusting, but there you go. Each to their own. And what the ascetics did was deny kind of the pleasures of life. They believed that there was a more spiritual way of living. So you denied all the, the things were in the natural way of things and things in the spiritual way of things. And there was a big divide. And to be spiritual was obviously far better than being natural about things. So they had a superior wisdom and knowledge that lived in this kind of world that denied things to make themselves feel more superior. And they look like they're sucking on a lemon the whole time. Those people who like that have that sort of face all the time because they're disapproving of everything while they're denying it to other people. The more obvious ones are paganism, worship of earth, sky, more than one god. Um, traditionalists, you had people who there whose Saturday was their holy day, people there whose Sunday was their holy day people who had special feast days for doing things, um, and they were also part of this, the, the whole part of the elemental forces. And all of these things were going on in Colossians at the time, 
And Paul was trying to write and address all these things. He was trying to look at a different way, I suppose, of living. And what Jesus, it was trying to press home the message of what Jesus had done for all these people. Should have put that on the floor. Sorry, it always takes me a while to do this. Please don't find it distracting if I drop my notes on the floor. It's just because I haven't got enough room to put them everywhere. And so these are going to hopefully float downwards in a nice graceful fashion. There we go. We can think now, silly Colossians. How silly of them. Of course, these things are not prevalent in our churches today. Or are they? And I thought about my own life and I thought, oh, Lord, gosh, the number of things I can be legalistic about or kind of think that I'm earning well. I know you're not stupid enough to do this, but it's like a kind of brownie points thing that somehow by doing certain things, we earn brownie points with God that get us to heaven. Now, if that was the case, I'd never get there. Is there anybody else who thinks like that? That if I do this, of course you don't. You're all lovely. But at the back of our minds somewhere, I think there's something that thinks we still need to earn our salvation. There are things we need to do to do that. I think one of the issues, one obvious one, alcohol. Some people drink it, some people don't. Both are fine. Now, an excess of it is wrong, but, and there's a world of difference between a recovering alcoholic who doesn't drink or not drinking because you somehow think it impresses God. You are as saved as you ever be, whether you have a glass of wine or don't have a glass of wine. We're not trying to win God's approval by the sort of things we do. Smoking. People disapprove of smoking. It's not good for you. It really isn't. It'd be much better for you if you smoke and you don't and you stop. And our bodies are supposed to be temples of the Holy Spirit, and what we put in them affects it. But there is no scripture that says don't smoke. It doesn't make you any more unworthy of God's grace. It's not a rule, it doesn't gain you any points. And it's no worse than a bad temper or all the other addiction things. You might be guilty of looking down on people who drink or smoke. But have you ever said, we don't watch much TV? Or we don't have a TV? As though it's somehow superior to other people. Oh, I don't watch much television. Well, I enjoy all my 292 channels that I have. I have learned, I have learned things that I wouldn't know otherwise. I have traveled to places I will never get to. I've learned things about history I never knew. But the great thing is it has an off switch. You don't have to watch what's on. And it doesn't make you superior to everybody else if you don't watch much TV. Great, good, find other things to do. But don't think that it gives you a kind of, I don't know, I've heard it said amongst people that it, it kind of is almost a sort of superior thing with people. And we let these sort of things creep in. Now, you might not think they're very big things, but it becomes quite a destructive force, I think, sometimes in churches where people 
begin to do these sort of things. An illustration that will illustrate this far better than I is from a book that I reread. It was written in the 1980s, and I actually really annoyed my husband so much. This is when we were going on honeymoon. Can you believe this? I annoyed him so much on the plane by laughing out loud at this book that he wasn't speaking to me when we got off the plane. That's how, I mean, honestly, isn't that terrible? What sort of wife was I? So this book was written back in the 1980s, and I reread it recently. And honestly, it is, it's as relevant now as it was then. If you want to have a laugh about what all the funny bits about church and all the daft, stupid things we do to try and impress each other and not be real, read it again or read it for the first time. I'm talking about a book, about a book called, by Adrian Plath. And he was appointed by, he's a fictional character, he's a real person, but in this book he plays himself as a kind of fictional person. And he's appointed by the lovely, lovely minister of his church as a house group leader. And he believes he's made it. He believes he's now so spiritual because he is now a house group leader. And his wife doesn't seem to think he's any different or more spiritual. And his son just takes the mickey out of him all the time. But he is going to lead this house group as the best house group ever. In fact, he may be an international speaker eventually after doing this. And there are two people in his home group called Stenith, and we never get to know her name, but they're called the Flush Pools. And his wife doesn't really like them. And he can't really work out why. But he invites them round for dinner. And I'm just going to read you a little passage that gives you a taster of what Mr. and Mrs. Flushpool, who are very sincere members of the congregation, are like. So this is a diary that he keeps. So it's written in the first person as um, of Adrian. Walk to work the short way this morning. Suddenly I felt oppressed by the prospect of the Flushpools. Visit this evening. Would have been nice to just enjoy the uncomplicated atmosphere for once. Still, as a Christian, you're lumbered, aren't you? Came home to find Anne, tired and tense after cleaning and bathing and preparing the meal all day. Gerald breezed into the kitchen as we were enjoying a cup of tea, peered at a rather-looking sponge on the side and said, I see you've made up a bishop of Durham cake, Mum. What do you mean, Gerald? said Anne quite icily. All the right ingredients, but nothing's risen, replied Gerald cheerily. He dodged the wet dishcloth with ease, slipped tastily out of the door before she could find more ammunition. I said, you've got to laugh. Anne said, have you? Flush pools arrived about 7.30. We all sat down straight away in the dining room. Mrs. Flushpool, who looked like a collection of black plastic bags, half filled with water, glanced around the room and said, Dear Anne, such a problem keeping a room like this clean. How we need the presence of the Mighty One, in our, in, even in our most intimate wifely duties. Mr. Flushpool, who bears a remarkable resemblance to old photographs of Crippen, says in a deep tomb-like voice, Amen to that. From that point onwards, Anne said hardly anything. Mrs. Flushpool described at great length how she'd be converted from fleshly works and appetites 
since being washed in the blood, and how in consequence she was now able to turn her back on those things that she used to do in what she called the natural. Everything she said seemed to have a sort of dampness about it. She and her husband refused wine, saying that Christians should be ashamed to have it in the house as it led to carnal excess. At this point, Mr. Flushpool let out another sonorous amen to that. Coffee was also frowned on as something that won't stimulate inappropriately in the natural. Gerald, with a perfectly straight face, asked Mrs. Flushpool, you're all dying to know what, just can't get this piece of paper off my tray. Go on. <sighs> right, I'll have to deposit it there. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, sorry. Sorry. Gerald, with a perfectly straight face, asked Mrs. Blushful if she used to go swimming in the natural. She replied fervently that her body of flesh would never again rouse any man to a fever of sensual lust. Amen to that said Mr. Flushpool. Mrs. Flushpool went on to talk with gleaming eyes about the danger of the occult, becoming so vehement she started to frost lightly at the mouth and had to use a red paper napkin. Was quite glad when he got up to go about 10 o'clock. As she left, Mrs. Flushpool said, thank you so much for supper, dear Anne. You must come round to ours soon and have a proper meal. illustrates it beautifully, doesn't it? The sort of things Christians do and people who can get obsessed by in the natural or not the natural and fleshly things. Beware all of that sort of stuff, folks. Be normal about things, please. All right? I think that one of the things that I associate with these people is, is definitely denying yourself things. Now, at Easter, a lot of people deny themselves chocolate. That's fine. But then they go and eat it all on Easter day. If you're denying yourself something to pray about and think about things, then that's fine. But if you're denying things because you think somehow it will help save you, it won't. You were dead in your sins when Jesus saved you. Now, I'm not sure that paganism is showing itself in our church. I've seen nobody running around waving trees and putting animal heads on themselves or anything. I mean, it may be wrong, but there may be things that you believe that aren't actually in the Bible. I struggle to think of an illustration for this, but I'll come back to it. Traditionalism is an easy one to spot. I am so guilty of this one, it's untrue. If I had my way, we would go back to complete Anglicanism here. We would have a collect, we would have a reading. It, the reading would fit the day's preaching. The collect would fit. The hymns would fit. We'd all know where we are. And we are what we call ourselves an independent. And we say, we're not a traditional church, don't we? Because we're not a traditional church, are we? Or are we? How many songs do we have when we come in? Then what happens? Then what happens? Children go out. 
Then they'll notice it. Then they'll preach. Then the three minutes, then they preach. Who sits in the same seat every week? I think there'd be a riot if people sat in different seats, wouldn't there? If one Sunday your seat was taken, or the row you like to be in is taken, or the end of the row was taken, all you end of the rowers, they would, wouldn't they? We'd say we're not traditional, but we tend to go back to the familiar. Now, some traditions are good, but we should always look to what the Holy Spirit's leading us into. Change does upset people. Change always, there's always criticism when there's change. And change for sake, change for sake is no good. But honestly, we must think really carefully about how traditional we become. Long may the Holy Spirit lead us in this church. And if one morning it all goes to pot and we have six songs, so we have six songs, you know? Or if we have no songs and just a very long preach, which looks like it might happen this morning if I'm not careful. <laughs> so better move on. But you hear the warning in that, don't you? Be careful. Let's all be careful. And it, it, okay, you might say, well, that's up to the leaders. It's not. It's up to all of us to come with the contributions we've got. It's up to all of us to get involved in that. It's up to everybody. There could be a whole queue of people ready to pray. Just come to the... If you've got a burning prayer, you want to pray on a Sunday morning, even if it's just one line, go and find them and get the microphone and pray. It'd be great to have a line of people just praising God and praying one morning, wouldn't it? So, you know, think about when you come to church in the morning. Let's not get too traditional. Or if we are going to get traditional, let's go back to what I want. You know, let's do it properly. Nothing wrong with Anglicanism, is there, John? Yes. <laughs> From an ex-vicar, that's saying it all, isn't it? Do you prefer old songs to new songs? I don't like the new songs. You know, do you have a favourite table in the cafe you always go and sit at afterwards? Of course you don't. I want to tell you a story about piano and a new vicar the vicar came and he wanted the worship to be different in the church he was in so he moved the piano to the middle of the room where the music group stood around it absolutely everybody including the church committee were up in arms and put it back where it was so what did he do he moved it a few inches every week Nobody noticed. Eventually it was in the middle of the thing. Change can come slowly too. But let's not get used to where we are. Jesus said, follow me. His church are always on the move. Always looking to the new things. Let's be free to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, we may not be bombarded today by the things the Colossians were facing. They were facing some very unique things. But I think today we are facing a lot of other isms. Materialism. We are in a world where we are bombarded with adverts that show us stuff to buy. With Christmas coming up, it's going to ramp up. 
And even with the fact that the bill's going to cost more and everything, I don't think it's going to push consumerism back. Um, and it's not good for the planet, and it's not good for us, because how much stuff do you need when you're dead? I keep, every year, I started getting rid of things from my house, because I just think, I don't need this. Who would benefit from it? Who else could have this? I think one of the other things we might suffer from is individualism. We live in this postmodern world where, of course, we all need to be individuals, but it stops us. All our rights, all our way of doing things is seen as the right way of doing things. And if that doesn't fit with you, you don't get involved with it. And it's very, very difficult because as a church, we're called to be a body and we're made up of individuals or unique individuals. But if what you want is more important than what the body wants, what Jesus wants, then that becomes really difficult. And individualism shows itself all over in our society. Like, well, it's okay. You can believe that. Well, I'll believe this. It's all right. It's fine. And we're heading, I, I just think for kids as well these days, if you've got grandchildren or children of any age, growing up in this society, there are going to be increasing pressures on them for things that just seem so, oh, we're going to sound so, so black and white about things when actually the world is moving into one big shade of grey. I'll give you a small example. A friend of mine, her daughter started college and she is the only person who on the form has put down that she's a girl. Everybody else in the group is all sorts of other wonderful, weird and wonderful genders. And eventually, we, because we have a public cafe here, will have to do something about changing the toilets. What are we going to do about people who don't want to be recognised as a male and don't want to be recognised as a female or want to be recognised as something else? What do we do then? What do we do as a church when we believe that God made male and female? It's really difficult, isn't it? Really, really difficult. I've got, you know, gender issues in my own family. I've got people who are um, living with partners of the same sex. I've got, you know, the whole of the life is in my family. And the whole of life should be welcomed into the church. But how do we do it with the beliefs we've got? It's really, I think it's a really hard issue. And I think the kids growing up today have got so much influence on them and what becomes apparent is that our voices are the only voices crying in the wilderness because it's like the rest of the world thinks well it's all right for you to believe what you believe but just let us believe what i believe it's hard isn't it in the light of what i've just said let's read this passage again therefore not to let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The 
The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Disqualify you. Such a person all goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their own spiritual mind. They've lost connection with their head. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual force of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that all are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sense feel indulgent. Remember, you died with Christ, and you rose again with him, so you no longer belong to all of this. And how we live should come from being in close contact with Jesus. Yes, we do things now out of our love for God. So that's why we serve. That's why we do things. That's why lots of people get involved as volunteers in this church. That's why we go out to the lost. That's why we run Alpha courses. We do it because of love for Jesus, love for God. That's where it all comes from. Not because we're trying to earn in any way our salvation, or hopefully not, because we are trying to impress somebody else by how holy and spiritual we are. Jesus is the one who changes us from one degree of glory to another. Now, a degree is a tiny, tiny little mark. You think of a clock, it's a tiny, tiny old-fashioned ones, not the digital ones, because the image doesn't work with digital. But those little, those little marks is how much God changes by one degree of glory to another. You don't see a fruit tree this time of year straining to produce an apple at the end of its branch and then pop, suddenly there's an apple. That fruit tree has spent a year with the wind, the sun, the rain. It's gone through a process and apples have naturally formed. It's had the conditions, it's planted, its roots go long. The same with us. We shouldn't strain to produce fruit. Jesus will produce the fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we knit it into him. We can't do anything else to earn our salvation. If we're rooted and grounded in Christ, we're going to produce good fruit. You don't have to do anything extra. If you never do another thing, a volunteer, or never do another thing for God in your whole life, guess what? You'll still get to heaven. You may have do the washing up at the banquet, but you'll still be there. There was a hymn at the Queen's Memorial Service, which I wanted at my funeral, but she got there first. I've always wanted, but even before the memorial service, this is the one I wanted. And it summed up for me what I kind of, 
um, wanted to say really this morning. I, I'm going to end with it as a kind of prayer for all of us. All my hope on God is founded. He does still my trust renew. Me through change and chance he's guided. Only good and only true. God unknown. He alone calls my heart to be his own. Thank you.